The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The text for this morning's message is from John 3, 31, which, if you don't have a Bible and you can find a Bible near you, one of the Blue Pew Bibles, it's on page 888. And... I wasn't preparing to make any remarks about my past two weeks, but as I came into the sanctuary, one of the elders said he thought it would be appropriate for me to update you. Many of you know that two weeks ago today, I was having some episodes and I wasn't sure what was going on. In fact, I had four episodes where just, just the lights would go off during the congregational meeting last two weeks ago, Sunday night. And it's not meant to be a commentary on the value or importance of congregational meetings. (laughs) But I I called Dr. Kurt sitting over here and he said, you better go to the emergency room and and be evaluated. And so I went to the emergency room and they asked, you know, did you did you pass out? I don't think so. Did did you feel dizzy? No, the room wasn't swirling. Did you did you feel nauseous? I didn't throw up. Did you? Would you break out into a sweat? No, I just, all the lights would go off. Just one of those things where the lights are off, but somebody is home. And uh, uh, so they hooked me up to all the wires and everything. And while I was in the hospital, uh, I flatlined. And so there's a big zero on the monitor and a flat line for my pulse. And two of the technicians that were standing there said, well, sometimes the leads come loose or the monitor can malfunction. But then the surgeon from the other room came running in. He said, your heart stopped. And it did it five more times that evening. And so they decided to put a pacemaker in. So I have this machine right here that I'm supposed to not get too close to stuff like this and, and this. And uh, uh, While I was in the hospital, those of you who've had experience in the clinics and hospital know that they ask you repeatedly, what is your full name? What is your birth date? Do you have any allergies? And I had repeated it so often that I said to one of the nurses, finally I said, well, sometimes from one of the prescriptions I break out in extremely good looks. (laughs) And without batting an eye, she said, well, obviously you're not reacting right now. (laughs) So I feel fine. Um, people say, you're going you're gonna to preach two weeks after you were in the hospital and, you know, I wasn't dead. I maybe had one foot through the door and many of you have prayed that I would live and I truly believe you love me. So why didn't you want me to go to heaven? (laughs) You need to have your meds adjusted. All right, let's get to business here. Uh, I want to give credit to Laurel Buckingham and John Piper and Dr. S.M. Lockridge, and there probably would be others who significantly shaped how I'm coming at this message. And so let me pray as we go to the text. So, Father in heaven, if you don't come now by your spirit, I will just make noise. But if you come by your spirit, 
Jesus will get honor that he deserves. He'll only get a portion of it, but he deserves it. And I'm asking that he'd get it now in your power. Amen. John 3, 31. Just, just that one verse. He that comes from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He that comes from heaven is above all. Now there's two aboves there. He who comes from above is above. There's two aboves, and those are not the same word in the original language. The first above means from heaven, and you see it in the second part of the verse. He who comes from heaven. That's what that above means. He comes from above. I've got to be careful not to lift this arm too high. Sorry. He comes from above. And then he is above, which is a different word. It means that he exceeds or he supersedes or he's greater than. He's prime. The one who comes from above is above all. He's from a superior rank or position, beyond the level of others. And then he comes and he's more honorable than all others. He alone is above. See it in the verse. He that comes from above is above all. Anyone else is beneath, is lower, is less. Any and all combined are less than he is. You see that this is a Christmas text? He who comes from above. This is an incarnation verse. verse. Now, he who is from the earth, or the word is cosmos there, is finite or limited. But Jesus does not take his origin from the earth. Rather, the earth takes its origin from Jesus. And this message this morning has only one point. Namely, that he who comes from above is above all. If you get that, you get the message. My desire in this message this morning is to provoke all of us and each of us to sincerely and reverently and enthusiastically and humbly praise Jesus. But we will not praise Him for being above all if we do not prize Him as being above all. So this morning I want us to see something glorious and wonderful and beautiful and winsome and compelling about Christ. I'm going to embark on something this morning that I know is totally impossible. I cannot adequately describe Christ. I will fail for lack of superlatives. But perhaps the Holy Spirit will take this one verse. He who comes from above is above all. And seal it on our hearts. Emblazon it across the radar screen of our attention and anchor our souls. I know it would be impossible for the greatest orator with the greatest command of the Queen's English to adequately capture Jesus' greatness, His glory, His goodness, His grace. You might as well expect a single cup of water to clean a thousand dirty feet or a single hydrangea from my backyard to aromatically fill the Twin Cities. It couldn't have the perfume power to do that. But when we understand that He is heaven's beauty for earth's wretchedness, 
and heaven's bread for earth's hunger, and heaven's peace for earth's strife, and heaven's light for earth's darkness, and heaven's wisdom for earth's foolishness, and heaven's living water for earth's thirst, and heaven's riches for earth's poverty, and heaven's strength for earth's weakness, and heaven's assurance for earth's fears, and heaven's salvation for earth's damnation, and heaven's soft answer that turns away God's wrath, then there's no wonder that the Bible declares him to be above all. Are we conscious this morning of how great he is? Do we reach out to our neighbors with that consciousness? Do we raise our families with that reality permeating our homes? What does it matter? Well, eternity is at stake. Now, how is he above all? He's above all in his historic role. Name the most significant names in the Bible, names around which all human history pivot, and he stands above them all. Adam, without whom none of us would be here. Without Christ, Adam would not exist. Abraham, to whom God gave his precious promises about you and me. Christ is the promise. Moses, he's above Moses, who said, I am, has sent me. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. He's above angels, about none of whom God ever said, You are my son. He's above David, who shepherded Israel. Jesus is the great shepherd. He's above Mary, whose soul magnified the Lord. Jesus is the Lord she magnified. He's above John, about whom Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet... The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus comes as the least, and he's the greatest. He's above Peter, who walked on water. Jesus walked on water. He calmed stormy water. He turned water to wine. He invented water. The one who comes from above is above all. Never in history has there been one able to command his tongue without ever slipping. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. You could look at the neighbor you're sitting by and say, you never did that. He's able to claim, I am the way, the truth, the life, the good shepherd, the true vine. And he's able to declare these things with authority because he is above all. I ask you, is there not a lily that could lose its fragrance? Is there not a fountain that could bubble dry? Is there not a river that could run dry, as we saw earlier this year in the drought in Minnesota? But he is the lily unfading, and the fountain ever bubbling, and the river ever flowing and gushing. He's inexhaustible. And aren't you glad that this is the Jesus that we worship? He has all the rights in the universe. John 3.35, just four verses later, it says, The Father loves the Son and has placed 
everything in his hands. Matthew 9, 6, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Mine, yours. Mark 1.27, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. He has the authority to lay down his life and he has the authority to take it up again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he says. As Dr. Lockridge says, you can't impeach him and he ain't going to resign. Everything that exists is his property. He is unlimited in his majesty, warranting honor in the highest degree. He's boundless in his sovereign rule. He's inexhaustible as our ultimate defender, entitled to maximum tribute, preeminently regarded by the Father himself. He's deserving a claim to the highest extent. He's distinguished above all. He's more than qualified for the best words and songs that we can summon. Never before or since has there been one about whom an audible voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I'm still on my text. He who comes from above is above all. He's as much a man as if he had never been God, and as much God as if he'd never been man. As a man, he hungered, but as God, he fed 5,000. As a man, he slept in a boat, but as God, he stilled the waters. As a man, he thirsted, but as God, he gushed water from a rock. As a man, he walked dusty roads, but as God, he walked on water. As a man, he hung on a wooden beam, suffering, dying. But as God, he broke the chains of death, conquering death and hell and the grave. Is there any wonder that the Bible says he is above all? He's above all in yielding his rights. When reviled, he did not claim his rights. He did not seek vengeance. You know, he could have said, if I just say the word, my father will send 12 legions of angels. And he didn't do it. When reviled, he did not revile in return, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Like no one else, he relates to people across categories. The architect can relate to him as the sure foundation. The artist can relate to him as the altogether lovely one. The baker can relate to him as the bread of life. The geologist can relate to him as the rock of ages. The farmer can relate to him as the true vine and lord of the harvest. The housewife can relate to him as the loving bridegroom. The medic can relate to him as the great physician. The judge can relate to him as the one who judges in all righteousness. The juryman can relate to him as the living and true witness. The astronomer can relate to him as the bright and morning star. The philanthropist can relate to him as the unspeakable gift. The perplexed person can relate to him as the wonderful counselor. The elder can relate to him as the head of the church, the author and finisher of our, even our, faith. But what is perhaps more important than all that is that this morning, even this morning, 
the sinner can relate to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he's above all, there are no chains of sin or flames of hell or maneuvers of Satan that Jesus cannot overcome. No one else could say they came to destroy the works of the devil. But Jesus could. Doesn't it make you hopeful this morning? Isn't that the kind of deity you seek to glorify, to honor, to praise, to follow? He was above all in his birth. Merry Christmas. Entire volumes have been written about this. The Bible says he came in the fullness of time. The angel says to Mary what he's never said to anyone else. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Heavenly hosts announce his arrival, which was predicted hundreds of years in advance. Listen to this from Hebrews 10.5. When Christ came into the world, he said, a body you have prepared for me. He who comes from above. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book hundreds of years before it happens. And there's more. He's above all in his condescension, in his coming down, in his humility. Though he's the bread of life, the manna from heaven, he hungered. And though he's the living water, he thirsted. And though he made everything and owned the cattle on a thousand hills, he had nowhere to lay his head. And though he was the king of kings, rulers of his day found him only a curiosity. And though he fulfilled all the law, he was tried and sentenced but he never raised the defense he could have raised. And though he lived a relatively short life, seemingly interrupted, he could say with authority on a grand scale, it is finished. He's above all in his crucifixion. Who has ever been more forsaken? Who has suffered more, forgiven more, they scoffed at his pains. They made jests about his claims. They mocked his identity. In your mind's eye, can you see his face bruised, red drops of blood, his eyes red with tears? Now, the animal sacrifices throughout the Old Testament, those animals went to the sacrifice, went to the altar involuntarily. It wasn't as though the priest said, you know, we need a volunteer for sacrifice today. Any of you sheep want to raise your paw? They were pressed into service against their will. But Jesus went willingly. Doesn't it amaze you and warm you knowing that Jesus can look at a man who is cursing him, resisting him, wanting nothing to do with him, a man who has broken his law and commandments, and he can say to that man, Come unto me, I will give you rest. As Henry Kirk White says, 
Behold his features. A tear is falling down his cheek, and his lip quivers. He's praying for his murderers. It's a love beyond portrayal. You might as well try to explain the ocean to someone who's never seen it by showing them a little jar of water. There is no greater love. His love is above all because He is above all. Am I making my point this morning? The point of the text? He who comes from above is above all. Is it any wonder that the centurion at the cross declared, truly, this was the Son of God? Now at this point, at the point of the crucifixion, we face a number of problems, and here's one of them. For centuries, people have affirmed Jesus as a great teacher and as a unique historical figure and a charismatic personality and a compassionate man. But here's the problem. If he's so gentle and meek, why did they kill him? It's not because he said, consider the lilies or let the little children come to me. No, they killed him because he claimed to be above all, including them. He claimed to have all authority. When Pilate says, do you not know that I have authority to crucify you? How does he answer? You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. In his authority, he drove the Jewish leaders out of the temple that they thought was their own. So this is not a sentimental Christmas card version of the coming of a baby, but the long-awaited arrival of the one who is, in birth, above all. If you will be saved from the just wrath of God, Jesus is not only necessary, he's enough. He's above all in his love. He's above all in friendship. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. No wonder Trevor Francis wrote, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, is the current of his love. No wonder Charles Wesley, with stunned heart, wrote, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's love. No wonder George Matheson wrote, O love that will not let me go. He's above all in his wisdom. He never made a mistake. He said things like, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, you must be born again. No wonder the voice from heaven declared, listen to him. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No one has ever taught like he taught. He has the words of eternal life. May I say to you this morning that what a person thinks about Jesus colors what he thinks about everything else. He was above all 
in his tender sympathies. When Lazarus died, and when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So it says doubly there, in fact, four words, deeply moved, greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? How often must the tenderness of Jesus have been convulsed with anguish over the sorrows of those he loved? And he's deeply moved over your sorrows also. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He's above all in his resurrection. With all due respect, Caesar, Alexander, Attila, Cleopatra, all in the grave. Gautama Buddha, in the grave. Muhammad, grave. Karl Marx, in the grave. Joseph Stalin, in the grave. Confucius, in the grave. But Jesus, the one who is above all, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. Death in vain forbids him rise. You can put your big stone there, and you can put your king's seal on it, and you can put your armed guards there, but if Jesus wants it open, it's open. He's the only one who's worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For he was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. He is preeminent. Romans 9, 5, Christ came who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Colossians 1, 18, and he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's preeminent and absolutely preeminent, referring to all things, all people. He owes no one anything. He's the focus, the hinge pin, the center of all that is. Remove Jesus and everything falls apart. It's like taking heat out of fire, taking wet out of water, quantities out of mathematics, taking events out of history, blood out of a living body. To not see Him as supreme is to not see Him. Can we let that land on us? He can't be contained. He can't be compartmentalized. He's all one, and He's one of a kind. To look elsewhere for ultimate meaning, ultimate authority, ultimate satisfaction is to never find it. Though He possessed equality with God, He left His home in heaven to rescue rascals, ras rascals like me who are incalculably beneath equality with God. Beloved, on this day after Christmas, there's more. He's above all in his power. Men boast of their chariots and their stallions and their powerful engines and missiles and battleships and their bombs and their churches and their ministries. And they boast in their powerful companies and their political machines and their muscles and their athletic prowess. 
but he, Psalm 66, 7, rules by his power forever. There's more power in Jesus' little pinky than in all the nuclear bombs that could be exploded in a million years. He's all-powerful. He has the power to elect the elect. He has the power to appoint those who will preach to the elect in every age, in every place. He has the power to forgive sin. Wipe it out. It's gone. It's good news for this boy. He has the power to cause one to be born again to a living hope. He has the power to transform lives, to give gladness in sorrow, to rekindle dead passions. What is it we sing this time of year? He rules the world with truth and grace. No wonder the hymn writers help us to sing, Joy to the world, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. They write, turn your eyes upon Jesus. They write, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Now part of what is so admirable about Jesus, incredibly admirable, is not just any one of his many qualities that I've been chronicling here, but that he holds them all in a perfect mixture. A lion, for example, can be admirable for its ferocious strength and its imperial appearance. And in contrast, a lamb is admirable for its meekness and its servant-like provision of wool for our clothing. But even more admirable is a lion-like lamb or a lamb-like lion who is both at the same time. What makes Christ glorious, as Jonathan Edwards observed over 250 years ago, is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. Jesus is above all in his ability to hold his tongue. His brother James said that only a perfect man could hold his tongue. It is to his silence that I owe my salvation. For when he's mocked on the cross, he never said a mumbling word. He didn't say, get me out of here. He didn't say, send those 12 legions of angels, God, and make these rascals toast. Not only above all in his physical sufferings, but his emotional sufferings. Stung by the ingratitude of the people, but crushed and forsaken by his Father. Do you see a wonderful and rare combination of attributes? He's slow to anger and great in power at the same time. He can do the miraculous with water jars at a wedding and outcast lepers and a small boy's two fish and five loaves and with a four-day dead Lazarus. He's got the power, and yet he possesses remarkable ability to slow his anger with his disciples, with the hypocritical Pharisees, with Pilate, with Herod, with the abusive soldiers who spit on him and worse. He's above all. He's above all in life, basic life, for he gives to all life and breath and everything. 
This is the purpose of Christmas. He said, I came, I came that, so here's going to explain why he came, they might have life and have it abundantly. And this is life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life. He's the vine, we're the branches. If we're not attached to him, we can do nothing. He's above all in grace, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. As he said, my grace is sufficient for you. He's above all in his dependability. He who loves us ever loves us. He's above all in joy. He said these things, I've spoken these things to you that my joy might might be in you and your joy might be full. The remarkable combination of attributes and descriptions we've rehearsed can apply to only one person, the one who is above all. You recall the story of Cinderella and uh, Trying to make the midnight deadline, she rushes away from the ball and she loses one slipper. Mm -mm -mm. And so the prince, in an effort to find her, tries that slipper on women all over the realm. And it doesn't fit anyone but Cinderella. These descriptions do not fit anyone but Jesus. There is one and only one who is above all. And his spirit is in this room right now. Do you get the sense this morning that we could go on and on about the one who is above all? I think we will forever. My aim this morning has been to spread a passion for his supremacy, to provoke worship. My goal is that each of us and all of us would worship him with hearts tuned and ignited by the conviction that he who comes from above is above all. So my question for you is, how now are you going to sing? Because we're going to sing. Are we going to sing as though we're persuaded that the one who comes from above is above all? As the worship team comes, let me pray. I'm asking for your enablement now. Father in heaven, enable us to not be like those who praise you with lips while their hearts are far from you, but help us to praise you with hearts that are totally engaged, totally impressed, totally loving the one who comes from above and is above all. I ask it in his name and for his sake, for his glory, for his honor. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.